Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the second letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll be discussing discipleship and being a useful vessel that the Lord can utilize to build his kingdom. We will also briefly touch on eternal rewards, predestination, and eternal security. So if you'll open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll begin our lesson. Let me open us up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this group and this opportunity to gather together and study your word this morning. And as we continue our study of 2 Timothy, I just ask that you open our hearts to hear what we need to hear this morning, particularly about discipleship and pouring into others. Just put on our heart the people that you want us to pour into, and we pray on this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in 2 Timothy. If you'll just turn in your Bibles there, we're in chapter 2. That's where we left off last time. And so I'll pick right up with that, chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, so remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is his protege. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling Timothy that the same grace of God that gives us our faith that we've read about so many times, I may go over there eventually this morning in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that grace that we have been given by God, that empowers us to do God's will. And one of my favorite verses, I'm just going to go over there real quick. I've given this to you several times before too in Philippians 2. This is Philippians 2, 13. It says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and he gives us the will and the way to actually do good works, to do the things that he wants us to do. But we have to allow that to happen. Paul is encouraging Timothy here to do what God has called him to do. Now, this next verse, this is, in my opinion, the key verse on discipleship in the Bible. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It means learner, follower, and reproducer. Some Christians get the learner part, a small subset of that group gets the follower part, but very few Christians truly understand what it means to be a reproducer. And that's what 2 Timothy 2.2 is talking about. It means pouring into others and helping them mature in their faith so that they can become disciple makers and reproducers. It begins with evangelism, which makes baby Christians and then helps them mature and learn how to make other disciple makers. That's what we're all called to do, but very few Christians are actually doing it. So ask God to help you become a disciple maker and pour into others. Ask him to put on your heart somebody that you could help become a disciple maker. It's a very rewarding experience, I can assure you. Well, let me read it. It says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, so this is Paul speaking, we know that Luke and Barnabas and Silas accompanied Paul throughout his missionary journeys in Acts, so that may be who he's talking about, but there were lots of people who heard what Paul would continue to preach that he received from God. He says, Take what I have taught you, and he says, Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is what I'm talking about. This is where he's saying, take what you've learned from Scripture and what people have taught you, and then go pour into somebody else and help mature them so that they can then become disciple makers. So discipling, this is something that I do. I've been doing for a number of years, actually ever since seminary. 
Richard Ellis, some of you all know Richard because I've told you he has a podcast. He's a dear, dear friend of mine, pastor in Dallas. He discipled me, and I, in turn, I usually disciple about two to four men a year. I spend an hour a week with them for about eight to 12 months, depending on where they are. And the idea is I'm happy to spend that year with them, but they have to agree when we finish, they've got to go do it. So I'm happy to spend a year with you, but you've got to be willing to then go start doing the same thing. And it's very powerful. It's something I thoroughly enjoy. Some of you I've discipled here. There's three pastors here in Austin that I've discipled who now have put that program in their church. It's very powerful. So if any of you are interested in that, when I disciple people here, those of you who are at Austin Ridge, it's D groups. You probably heard that mentioned. When I'm doing somebody from Austin Ridge, I use the D group materials. Usually when I'm doing it with somebody outside Austin Ridge, I use the materials that we use at Dallas Theological Seminary, where I went to seminary. And we've now put that discipleship program in place there at DTS as well. So those are the materials I use. So if anybody's interested in learning more, those materials are written by another dear friend of mine in Dallas, Dr. John Tolson. He has a website with videos and what have you that can help you if you're interested. His book is called The Four Priorities, and it's available through his website. I think it's also still at Amazon. But this is what he's talking about. We're called to disciple others. And he's also saying disciple people, they've got to be faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so even when I'm discipling people, I keep asking them along the way, you know, is this working for you? Is this something you're going to be able to do? And some people wash out. It's like, I didn't realize this was going to take this much time and I just don't have this much time right now to be able to go do this with someone else. And I say, that's fine. Let's just stop. And when you're ready, we'll come back and pick back up because I have a list of people who want to do this and I just rotate people in as others graduate or I finish with them. But make sure you're spending time with people who truly have a heart that want to go do this. They have a yearning to go help mature other people in their faith and then go become disciple makers themselves. So that's what he's talking about here. Any questions about that? I think this is probably the key verse for me in this whole chapter. Okay, so Paul continues, he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So he's going to give now several examples of people who are living out or sort of illustrate what he's talking about when he says, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So first he takes a soldier and he's saying, not just a soldier, but a soldier who gives all that he has, someone who's actually willing to suffer with others. We are in a spiritual war. That's why he's talking about a soldier. We're in a spiritual battle with Satan and Satan's army. I'll take you over to Ephesians 6 and show you that. You don't need to go over there. I'll just read it real quick. I'm in Ephesians 6, verse 12, if you're taking notes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual battle going on right now, and we're not going to win it just trying to do it on our own. We've got to have the Holy Spirit helping us and the Word of God and prayer to be able to get through this battle. So he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that they may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Here Paul is saying, don't get bogged down with the things of the culture or trying to please others. That's what our culture does. 
try to do things in order to make yourself look better before other men. That's not where the game is being played, okay? There's a spiritual warfare going on out there. And don't get bogged down with the things of the culture. There's so many pastors in a lot of churches today that are doing this very thing. They are straying from the true word of God and they're just preaching things that their congregation wants to hear so that they can grow their congregation or not lose their congregation. They're using black highlighters on verses that their congregation doesn't want to hear about anymore. That's what pleasing the culture is all about. And what Paul's saying here is work hard, be diligent to try to bring others to Christ and help them grow. It's not about the culture. It's about serving Jesus first. Now he's going to talk about athletes in verse 5. This is another example of how we should live. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Here he's saying as we compete against our flesh, the culture, Satan, we got to compete to win. And you do that by knowing the scripture knowing when there is false teaching, and by prayer and obedience to God's word. Now he's going to talk about a farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. A farmer can't grow crops without putting in hard work and being diligent and planting his crop. He'll face hard weather. He'll face difficulties, but he's still diligent about it. He doesn't give up, and he'll then receive his reward. And he's not talking about here earning our salvation. This is about rewards in heaven. These are eternal rewards. I've got several verses on that, but let me just show you one. Go over and look at this one. I want to show you this one. It's in 1 Corinthians, so just go back over to the left. 1 Corinthians is after Acts and after Romans. So if you get all the way over there, you've gone too far. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll begin in verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So everything that we're doing, all our opportunities that God gives us, the gifts that God has given us, how are we using those, it's all going to be tested. We're going to stand as Christians before Jesus, and he's going to judge what we have done with our opportunities, the relationships that he's given us, the time that he's given us, our jobs, all the people that we interact with throughout the day. What are we doing with those opportunities that God has given us? Now, remember, this is not for our salvation. As Christians, our salvation is assured. I'll give you some verses on that in a minute. This is for our eternal rewards. And I'll show you here as we read on, it says exactly that. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. We'll receive rewards for the good things that we did that we allowed the Holy Spirit to do in and through us. But look what happens to the folks, or even I think we'll all have some of this, the stuff that we wasted away. We wasted our opportunities that God gave us to help others place their faith in Jesus Christ or to help them grow. It says, if any man's work is burned up, He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. So they won't have anything to show for their life here. 
That's what this is talking about. Again, this is not salvation. This is Christians, and this is the judgment that we will go through for our rewards and our responsibilities that we will have in the kingdom. And I'll show you a verse on some of our responsibilities here in just a minute. Let's go back over to our text, 2 Timothy, verse 7. Consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So if you're diligent in becoming strong in a mature Christian, devoted to guarding and teaching God's word, denying your flesh and faithfully serving God, and this isn't saying that we're all to be perfect. We're still going to sin, but this is living a lifestyle where you're trying to allow the Holy Spirit to clean you up and live the life that God wants you to live. That's what this is talking about. Then the Lord will give you understanding in everything but we've got to deny our flesh and faithfully serve God, not get pulled into cultural affairs. He says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Let me stop there. So he's saying, remember Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus has done for us, for each of us, and keep Christ at the forefront of our mind. Remember what Jesus went through for us and that he's alive today. He's our God. He's our Savior and we're to serve him. He also mentions that Jesus is the descendant of David. He's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He came here to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. He's the Messiah that was prophesied in Isaiah 53. And when Paul's talking about my gospel, what he means here is he's talking about the gospel message that was given to him by the Lord, the inspired word of God. That's what he's talking about. It's the gospel that he's been sharing. He says, that gospel in verse 9, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. Remember, he's in prison as he's writing this letter. He's in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He says, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Paul's saying all Christians are going to suffer for Christ. That's just part of the deal. In fact, we'll skip ahead if you just look over in chapter 3, verse 12, which we'll get to next week. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you're not suffering some persecution or some pushback every now and then from people, maybe you're not following Jesus close enough. The Bible's clear. There's lots of verses that say the same thing. We ought to suffer a little pushback from time to time, or we're not doing what we've been called to do. Verse 10 For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. We could spend a whole lesson today on election and predestination. I'm going to show you a couple of verses. Let's see how we're doing on the time. Because I do want to touch on it since Paul touches on it here, but I'm going to tell you right at the outset, this is a mystery If anybody tells you they understand this, I don't think that's possible. We cannot fully understand the mind of God. But there's so much written in the Bible that talks about election and predestination. That's on the one hand. Yet on the other hand, we're told some of Jesus' last words were to go make disciples. And Jesus died for everyone. And anyone who will place their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. And I'm going to show you some of those verses. So there's a little tension there. On the one hand, you could say, well, if it's all preordained, God's already decided even before the foundations of the world, why should I do anything? I mean, God's plan is going to be played out. Well, then why did he tell us to go do all these things? So there's a tension there, and I'm okay with the tension. 
Well, let me show you some verses, and then I think you'll at least have a better understanding, although it's a mystery. We can't fully comprehend this. So let me first show you Acts 4, and you don't have to flip all around. Let me just read some of these verses to you, and then there'll be one that I want you to read along with me. I'm going to look at Acts 4, verse 12 first. If you're taking notes, you can go back and look at it later. Acts 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So it's clear there's only one path to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. So that's clear. I'm going to then take you over to look at Romans 8, 29 through 30. So if you got to Acts, Romans is just the next book over to the right. And it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. This is talking about God. For he might be the firstborn among many brethren, in whom he predestined, these he also called. In whom he called, these he also justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. So what I love about this is it's a done deal. Do you see these are all past tense words? It's already a done deal. It's already been accomplished for us as Christians. It's sort of like already but not yet. We're not there yet, but it's a done deal. We're assured of our salvation. And then let me show you John 6.65. I'm going to go over a couple of verses in John. This is Jesus talking, and it says, And as Jesus was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. There's this election, this predestination type of thing going on. But then let me show you two other verses. I want you to look at these. John is the fourth gospel. Go with me to John 3.16, which I think most of you know that. Probably have it memorized, but a lot of times you stop at the end of 16, I want to go all the way through 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this is saying all you got to do is believe. It's available to everybody. All you have to do is believe, and you will have eternal life. It doesn't say maybe. doesn't say might. doesn't say also, as some religions teach, if you do these sacraments, if you go do a bunch of other things, if you keep some rules, we'll let you know when you get here if you did enough. Maybe you'll be in the top half of the class, you know. It doesn't say that. It says you will have eternal life. But look, let's continue on. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. So it's clear. All you have to do is believe, and it's available to everyone. And then I want you to look at this as well. Go to Ephesians. So if you were in John, go over to the right. It's after Corinthians. Keep going right. You'll get to Galatians, which is after Corinthians, and then you'll get to Ephesians. And I want you to look at this. We look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9 all the time in this class, but I want to begin in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
even as the rest. So that was us. We were dead. We were dead in our sin. But look what happened. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So God saved us through his grace. We do nothing. We did nothing. You see this? God made us alive with Christ. Verse 6, and raised us up with him. So again, past tense, already done, accomplished. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So again, it's accomplished. It's a done deal. We have the promise of our inheritance here. It says, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So we had nothing to contribute to it other than to receive the gift. You got to receive the gift. He's offering it to you. You have to receive it. And just to make it clear, there's nothing we have to contribute to it. In verse 9, not as a result of works that no one should boast. So there's this tension here. It's all done by God, but yet we do play a little part. We do have to receive it. But I'm not one to say that little part that I did to even receive it attributed to any, you know, I don't give myself any credit for it. This is a mystery. So I can't explain it all to you. We'll understand it better when we get there. But the point I want to make is be thankful for what God has done for you. Okay, and we all became Christians, I'm going to guess, because somebody said something to us. It is by God's grace. It is a gift. But God works through us in order to help bring people to faith. And we have to be an available instrument. He can do it however he's going to do it. But he wants to work in and through us to bring others to faith. Does that make sense? Larry, isn't this where our free will comes into play? Correct. Correct. We have our free will to say no. There's plenty of people that tell me no all the time when I'm witnessing to them. And don't get down when that happens. We're just called to plant seed. I've never converted anybody, ever. Now, there's been a whole bunch of people who have come to faith because the Holy Spirit's worked through me as I share the gospel. But it isn't my doing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. My job is to be available and plant the seeds and share the gospel. That's it which takes all the heat off of us. I mean, we should feel no pressure at all. All we got to do is open our mouth and share the gospel and say how our life has been changed since we became a Christian. That's it. The rest is up to the Holy Spirit. It's easy. And the Holy Spirit will give you the words to do it. But we are all called to do that. Let's keep reading. I'm back in 2 Timothy. Verse 11. These next three verses... This may have actually been an early church hymn or even possibly a creed in the very early church. We'll read it and I'll take each line, line by line, and try to bring a little more color to it. It says, It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Let me show you a little more color on that. Romans 6, 3 through 8. I'll just read this to you. Romans 6, 3 through 8. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." 
Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free of sin. I think that's what he's talking about here. If we died with him, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're dead to sin. We're risen as new creatures. That's what baptism signifies. As we go into the water, we die. We're buried with Christ. As we come out of the water when we're baptized, we come up as new creatures. We've been cleansed of our sins. Our sins have been forgiven, and we're to live a new life, and we'll be resurrected with Jesus. Verse 12, it says, I'm back over in 2 Timothy, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And so I told you, I'd show you one place. There's several verses on this that we will have responsibilities. We'll have positions of authority when we get into the kingdom with Jesus. I'll show you this one. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. I'll go over there. It's just one verse, so you don't have to go over there. 1 Corinthians 6. And you may find this interesting. That's why I picked this one. Sometimes people don't know about this. I'm in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints, remember when Paul uses the word saints, he's talking about all believers. Do you not know that believers in Jesus Christ will judge the world? And then skip back down to verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Isn't that interesting? I mean, we will have positions of judging the world and judging angels fascinating. That's just one of the things we'll be doing. I've got others, but I'll just leave it at that for today. The next verse, I'm back over to our text. If we deny him, he will also deny us. This is an unrepentant, firm, permanent denial, okay? This is somebody who rejects Jesus. This is not somebody like Peter who denied Jesus three times, but still believed in Jesus Christ, we will all trip up from time to time. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about somebody who outright says, nope, don't want any part of Jesus, don't need it. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What this is saying is Jesus will never fail in his promises to us. No matter what we do, the promises of eternal life that he's given to us by placing our faith in him can't be denied. He will always be true to what he has promised us. Verse 14, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to ruin of the hearers. In this ruin, the Greek word, if you go back and look at the original Greek, it's actually the word that we get catastrophe from. What Paul is saying to Timothy here is to teach truth to others, and that's what we are required to do. Teach the word of God in the right way. Teach sound doctrine. Don't get tied up in false teaching. And he's also saying don't get all twisted up arguing with people. He's going to say this a couple of times in our text. Don't get all tied up with people who just want to have a debate that really aren't searching truth. And I can give you so many examples of this. I get calls throughout the week, every week, from people who listen to this podcast or read the blog or what have you. And they'll call and they'll have good questions. They want some clarification on something like we discuss in here, which is great. And every now and then I'll get somebody who they're not a believer. They just want to have an argument. They want to argue with me. And once I figure that out, I just say, look, I'm not interested in having a debate. I had one guy that called and said he was a Christian. And he was asking the most bizarre stuff like, where are you getting this stuff? 
And I kept asking him, tell me about how you became a Christian. And he kept avoiding it. And when I'd ask him questions, they were not even an answer to my question. It's some bizarre comment. Finally, I said, hey, you keep telling me you're a Christian. Can you just tell me that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? And he couldn't do it. And I asked him three times, and he couldn't do it. He changed the subject. And finally, I said, dude, you're not really a Christian, are you? And he goes, well, I like the teachings of Jesus. I said, you're not a Christian. I said, I'll tell you what. I don't want to have a debate with you. If you are seriously trying to get answers to your questions, I'll spend all day with you. He said, well, I'm trying to help you understand where you're wrong. And I said, I don't need your help. If you really want to talk about trying to understand what God's word is, I'll spend all day with you, but I don't want to have a debate with you. Call me back if you have a change of heart. You know, and there are people out there that that's what they want to do. And what he's saying here is don't waste your time on people that just want to have a debate. I got asked, there was a church that is going through a split and they wanted me to come debate with the people that believe the Bible has errors and that all these verses that don't apply anymore. I said, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not coming over there and having a debate with people that don't believe that this book is infallible. If they're really searching for answers, give them my card and have them call me. But I'm not going to go have a debate. I've got other people that I can help. So just discern that a little bit. That's what he's saying. Don't get into empty chatter. Okay, man, I've got to get going here. We're running out of time. 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter that will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, perverting the truth. They were really twisting Scripture and turning things around. And you see in 18, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. So these men were misleading believers, Alexander was among them as well that was distorting the truth of the gospel, 1 Timothy 1.20. And they were either saying that there isn't such thing as resurrection. It's not clear exactly. They were either saying believers don't have a bodily resurrection or there was a group at that time that was also teaching that the resurrection had already taken place and perhaps you missed it. So it was just false teaching that it had already taken place. He's saying, don't be like these guys. Verse 19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Given the time, let me just keep going here. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So I think what Paul is talking about here is every believer should have a desire to be utilized as a vessel of God, to be a vessel of honor, to clean yourself up. God doesn't want to use a dirty vessel, a vessel of dishonor. This could be either non-believers or I think it's probably more talking about believers who are lazy or apathetic and they don't want to do what God's calling each of us to do, which is to go make disciples of others, to pour into other people, to share the gospel and build the kingdom of God. I think that's what he's talking about. I'm just going to go back over here real quick since we read all of it in Ephesians 2, and I stopped at verse 9, but verse 10 is talking about works. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So God wants to do good things through us, but it's him doing the work. We've just got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to do it. He even says here, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. It says at the end of verse 21 in our text today. Vessels of dishonor, like I say, it could be false believers, non-believers, people who don't have saving faith. But I think it's more likely it's the apathetic believer who says, well, I've got my ticket punched, but they're not going to get any rewards. They're going to show up in front of Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and their whole life is just going to burn up. They're going to have nothing. Let's finish out our text. Verse 22, now flee from youthful lust, that's sexual desires, pride, ambition, wealth, power, whatever those lusts may be, and pursue righteousness. So pursue and obey God's scripture. He says pursue faith. So that's being loyal to God's word and God's work. It's having a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Pursue love. That's selfless giving to others, placing others ahead of ourselves. Self-sacrifice. And he says pursue peace. And in Romans 12, 18, you remember, I love that verse. It basically says, to the extent it depends on us, be at peace with everyone. That's what we should do. He says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A pure heart, if you truly have a heart for the Lord, and that's what Jesus talked about all the time, what's the condition of our heart, you're going to have these four attributes. And you'll then be a vessel of honor that God can utilize. Verse 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, meaning things that there's no basis in truth, knowing that they produce quarrels. So here he's saying again, if somebody wants to have a responsible discussion about Scripture and they're truly seeking the truth, have those discussions. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us. But he's also saying don't waste time on people that, and you can pick it up pretty quick, All they're trying to do is have a debate with you. They're trying to convince you where you're wrong. They're really not trying to learn the truth. 24, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach. Again, this is all of us. Able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. So don't argue with them, but correct them with gentleness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Repentance is a genuine change of mind, a change of heart. It's saying that I now believe what God said. I'm now going to go the direction God's telling me rather than what I have always believed that I could get there my own way. Verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So these people that want to argue with us in the whole culture, really, when you look today at all the lost people all around us on TV, they shouldn't be our enemies. They're just captives of Satan right now. And we were too. Remember when I read that at the beginning of Ephesians 2? We were lost just like them. They shouldn't be our enemies. They're being held captive by Satan to do his will. But God can rescue them and use them and wants to do that. So let me just summarize, wrap up real quick, and then I want to hear your thoughts We're commanded to make other disciples. We're commanded to do that. Not many people are doing that, but I encourage you to think about who you might be able to pour into. Just pray about it. You guys who have been in this study for a long time, you all know the Bible way better than most people that you're sitting next to in church. You just do. You've had a lot more training than they have. You can help them. 
So pray that God will put somebody on your heart that you could spend time with and help mature. Ask them to come to this Bible study. As Christians, we should expect hardship and rejection. And when we go through that, just realize I've now gotten, I used to get defensive about it. Now I realize, hey, Jesus told me this was going to happen. I must be doing the right thing. I take it as a praise when I get rejected by people. It's like, yeah, he told me this would happen. God is going to reward our inner heart as believers. That's what he's going to look at. So where is our heart? And look at what we read towards the end here in verse 22. Is that what our heart looks like? We get to choose whether we want to be instruments or vessels that God can work through. And I read you that verse earlier that says he'll give us the will and the way to do it. We've just got to be available. Just be available. Wake up in the morning and say, God, how do you want to use me? Just one place today, somewhere, use me, use me. And when you feel him using you as an instrument, man, there's nothing that makes your heart sing for joy like that. When you see, man, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit doing a work through me. It's amazing. And then you get to where you reflect on that each evening before you go to bed. Where did the Holy Spirit utilize you? So many people just want to, and I do it too. We all tend to blow God off from time to time. It's like, I don't have time. I got my own plan. I got my own things I got to get done today. And we're just blowing him off. He gave us our time. How are we using the time he gave us? And I said, don't argue with people who aren't seeking truth. Don't waste your time. There's a verse in the Bible that even says, don't throw your pearls at the swine. That's what that's talking about. Don't waste your time on people that just want to argue with you. But know the Bible. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because that's why y'all are here. But you got to know the Bible so you know when you hear false teaching. And there is so much false teaching at so many of our churches today. And people don't know any better. They say, well, that person went to seminary. They must know what they're talking about. No. There are seminaries that are teaching false teaching as well. I can tell you that for sure. So what questions, comments might you have today? Hey, Larry. Yes. I was told a long time ago that salvation cost Jesus his life. And discipleship is where we spend our lives living out the plan that God had for all of our lives who are in the body of Christ. That is why we're left here. It's a crazy plan. Well, seriously think about who you could be pouring into because it's an aspect that we're called to do. It's right here. I mean, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us to go make disciples. And it doesn't say pastors go make disciples. It's the pastor's job to equip us to build up the body of Christ. It says that over in Ephesians 4. We looked at that, I think, last time. The pastor's job is to equip us and then we as believers are to go build up the body of Christ. That's our role. Absolutely. And that's not an option. We don't get to opt out on discipleship. It's not an option. That's what we're all called to do. There's so many people. I think there's a statistic I've read. I don't remember the exact number, but it's like 85 or 90% of Christians have never shared the gospel with anybody else. Doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but when we all pass through that fire... You're not going to have too much left. As I was discussing earlier, be a disciple by becoming a learner, follower, and reproducer. Don't tell God no on the reproducing part. That's why he has you here. When will you stop telling God no? Ask him today to help you become a reproducer to help make other disciple makers. And I would be delighted to help you if you'll just give me a call. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. 
If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.